Hi there, this is the Guitar Speak podcast produced here in Sydney, Australia. My name is Matt Wakeling and thank you so much for joining me for episode number 62. And today we speak to Brian Wampler of Wampler Pedals. Now as I record this, I am coming off the high. That was from the Sydney Guitar Festival. I had a great weekend getting to a couple of the gigs and being involved in one of the events as well. And I'll talk a bit more about this in the next episode of Australian Guitar News. But I just wanted to put out a congratulations to Adrian Layton and all the team at Century Venues for putting on a fantastic festival. Bring on 2018, I say. All right, another shout out of a different kind. My friend Greg Mara from the West Coast of America. You may know him as one of the guests on our show if you've been listening for a little while. He has a fantastic podcast called The Iconoclast Music Podcast. Very guitar uh, centric, but delves into other things like producing and and other stuff. And Greg's an amazing guitar player, and uh, yeah, his show rocks. He was very kind to mention uh, this podcast on a recent interview with Michael Melinda of Guitar Player Magazine, which was cool. And um, I need to return the favour because I'm talking to Brian Wampler today, who Greg works with regularly. He's often in the Wampler booth at the NAM uh, conventions and uses Wampler pedals in his in his rig. So. When the opportunity came up for me to speak with with Brian, I definitely checked out Greg's interview, uh, which was excellent. So if you've not checked out the Iconoclast music podcast, do so. It's on iTunes and all the regular places. All right, so on to my conversation with Brian Wampler. It was pretty exciting to, to meet Brian and find out about his career and uh, get the lowdown on even some of his most recent releases like The Doctor Lo-fi delay, it was cool to hear the backstory on that and a bunch of other stuff. All right, let's just dive straight in. All right, Brian Wampler, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, I really appreciate your time. Now, Brian, before you started building pedals, um, you were a guitar player. What, what led you to playing guitar in the first place? Well, I was seven or eight, and my brother played drums, my older brother. And, um, and keep in mind, this was back in the 80s. So um, he, his band was over, and they were playing uh, like a Night Ranger song, which is big here in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so, you know, I looked at my older brother, and I thought that was cool. But the guitar player had this flying V. And I don't know why. It really, like, I hadn't really been exposed to it that much. But just, uh, I don't know, hearing him play guitar seeing the flying v and mm-hmm. playing a song that i was familiar with like yeah. the whole thing just seemed really cool to me so yeah, awesome. um so yeah i i uh i wanted it just made me want to play guitar and um so i asked my parents for a guitar for christmas and they bought me a little cheap acoustic uh-huh. with the you know the action is about three inches off the neck yeah, yeah, yeah. so i couldn't <laughs> couldn't do any chords on it or anything <laughs> couldn't do the night um, ranger yeah, but about you know the next I don't know it's next birthday or something they bought me an electric guitar, a cheaper electric electric guitar, and um, started just learning things by uh, by ear from there. Okay, because of course this is way before the internet, and um, I don't even think there's much in the ways of tablature at that time, at least in you know available to me. Yeah, not, and, not uh, really nice. Yeah, so I was uh, you know I'd record something off the radio. And on a tape cassette, yes, and yep. rewind, play, rewind, play all day long, <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out those bar chords. Uh, we, I think we're the same vintage, Brian. I, this is a very familiar story. That's awesome. 
<laughs> cool. What, what so, kind of stuff were you into beyond the Night Ranger? Uh, yeah, I mean, my I had two older brothers. So my other one was really into like Van Halen, um, which kind of got that's really what t- got me turned on to Van Halen. Ah, cool. Um, so I was really like all the classic rock stuff. I mean, ACDC, I love a lot of ACDC. Yeah. Uh, Def, older Def Leppard. Uh-huh. Uh, back when they were a rock band. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I mean, really just like all the greats. I mean, everything. Not. I mean, there's a few bands I wasn't real crazy about. Like, I mean, I was okay with some of the older Ozzy, but it didn't really resonate with me. Um, Metallica, I loved Metallica. Yeah. Uh, especially old Metallica. Uh-huh. Cool. Um, you know, like Garage Day stuff and Ride the Lightning and Kill Em All. Like, I loved all that stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and especially Dawkins. Like okay. George, I was George a gigantic Lynch, yeah. fan of George Lynch. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, which you know, it kind of came full circle. He he called me. I don't know. It's been a year or two ago, and was asking about pedal stuff. And I'm like, holy crap! I'm talking to like <laughs> George Lynch. And there, you know, there's. I don't usually get starstruck, but there's a few people that uh, you know I'll talk to on the phone, and I get pretty starstruck. I'm just like, I can't believe I'm having a conversation with this guy. <laughs> He's asking me questions. <laughs> that is so good. That's so good. So, okay, who else? Who else would uh, get you a bit starstruck? So uh, George Lynch. Let me. Th- yeah, George Lynch did, did it. For Brent, uh, I mean, believe it or not, Brent Mason was a huge influence on mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Uh, so that was, you know, that that was really cool getting to work with him. Uh, Brad Paisley, I'm still a big fan of his, and yeah. even still t- to this day, sometimes I talk to him like, "Geez, like, I, I mean, it's just it's kind of surreal, you know, in a way that um, I mean, of course, they're just real people like you and I." Yeah. But it's still kind of surreal, like talking to your guitar hero about sure, something, sure. you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I think George Lynch is probably the biggest one. Steve Vai was a really cool guy to talk to. Yeah, wow. And to kind of get to know a little bit. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest ones that stick out in my mind right now. Yeah, awesome. Very cool. I mean, I've, I've seen you in interviews and, and heard your podcast. You always seem super chilled, but. I'm but, pretty laid back, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but it's kind of cool to know that you know you you still dig meeting your, your heroes. That's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. When when you're um so when you're learning when you're on the electric learning all this rock stuff, do you remember your first pedal? I do. It was I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's an Electro Harmonics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say Muff Fuzz, but okay. it was the kind that you insert into the input of your guitar. Uh, oh, okay. On and off switch was it was a toggle. Okay, cool. And yeah, that was that was my very first one. Nice. Um, from then on, I, I didn't like I, I didn't have really good gear growing up at all. Like I had a little five watt Kingston solid state amp from like Sears or something like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. You know, so I was always like trying to, you know, I, I would have a friend that had a pedal and I would borrow one off of him, trying to, you know, make whatever little. $75 amp I had sound decent you know I went through the gorilla amp stage of course oh yeah yep that and, was awesome. you know yep. with a little yeah. um what was it called tube stack or something that switch yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had to create g40 which was my first quote-unquote good amp yep yep uh, as a, you know as a teenager and and um and I did a lot of really weird things with that too so I, I always wanted like that I mean, at the time, I would call it like a docking sound, you know, because that was some of the some of the stuff that George was doing was like the pinnacle to me of great guitar tone. Uh-huh. And um, so I would 
I would take the amp and I would run, um, I think, a send out to the input of a bass amp. So I'd run a bass amp along with that guitar amp to give it more, almost like a 412 type okay. of thing. Yeah, a bit more oomph. <laughs> yeah, and, um, cool. and I never really could find any pedals that would give me the sound that I wanted. Uh, I mean, just really throughout the years. But I mean, a lot of that was just because there wasn't a lot of information, you know. I mean, I, sure. I didn't, I didn't really even know or understand. Well, I definitely didn't know what a plexi was. Mm -hmm. I knew what a Marshall was, but I didn't quite understand that that sound is a product of a cranked Marshall with some really good mics and a controlled setting and a really good engineer. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, so so as I got older and got like the Marshalls and stuff, I, there, you know, I would be like, it sounds great, but it's not exactly like you know, scorpions rock you like a hurricane sound yeah, or something, you know? Sure. And like, so, you know, there's a lot of learning involved and especially, um, uh, you know, when, once the internet did become available to me, that's the type of stuff that I would, I was just completely religious about like trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I was poking through all the different forums, just talking about gear and, um, uh, looking up tablature and that sort of thing. Uh, so, so really that's, that's kind of where uh, I guess if, any knowledge came about, that's where it came about. I didn't go to, you know, any sort of college to be an engineer or anything like that. I, I really just um, knew what I wanted in my head and tried to figure out a way to get there from, okay. you know, point A to B. Okay. So were you messing around with the electronics before, say, pre-internet, before you could access this information? Uh, you know, not, not really. Definitely not guitar gear. Okay. Um, with me, it was... Um, I mean, I always took stuff apart and very rarely could get it back together. I was kind of that kid. I would yeah, just take yeah, it apart okay. to see what it looked like. But I didn't really know what it did, you know, like, and I'm, I didn't really have an interest in it. Uh, not until uh, I found out that people were modifying pedals. And then I'm like, whoa, you can, like, modify these pedals to make them sound different? And um, so, so, yeah, I just started pulling parts out and putting new parts in and seeing what happened. And then I started reading about how electronics work and why a capacitor does what it does and et cetera. Um, so I, I but you know, the fir very first thing I did was just uh, pulling out parts and putting different parts in there and seeing what would happen. Okay, cool. Um, this, this led to obviously what you're doing now, but um, when, when did you write your book, How to Modify Guitar Pedals? That's become a bit of a, um, yeah, you know, a, it, a revered reference for... For pedal models. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a weird cult classic, I guess, in the niche. Yeah. But, um, it, you know, it started out it started out just like a Microsoft Word document for me to remember what I was doing. Okay. You know, to know on this pedal, here's what I changed. Um, and then on like different DIY forms, people would ask about modifications, and so I'd post a modification. Mm -hmm. um, or uh, you know, maybe I posted a sound clip, and someone asked what I did, and so I was explaining why I changed these parts. Okay. Uh, but I was getting so many, like, email and stuff was building up, and just a lot of my time was being consumed with answering questions about it, which is totally fine, but it was, like, taking over my life. And um, so I talked to a friend of mine and who has his own internet business now, but at that time he was getting his business started on eBay. And he's like, dude, you need, you need to make, like, some sort of ebook and at least charge a couple bucks to make it worth your time. Because, like, you're... You're taking off family time and work time to do this stuff. Yeah, sure. So you you need to be paid for it, um, and so that's what I did. I, it started out as an, as an ebook, and um, you know I just kept adding things to it, and people people actually told me they wanted a hard copy. I, I had never no plans at all of actually writing any books or doing anything like that, 
So I found a print-on-demand service that um, I could, you know, go run it through them, and they would print the book out, and I, I would sell it that way. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's really how it happened. It started as an e-book, and just due to customer demand, ended up as a regular book. Mm-hmm. That's great. Now, the, there were some pedals that came out uh, under the name Indie Guitarist. How, how did that tie into what you were doing at the time? Yeah, I mean, um, at the time, I, I, I needed a website, and I needed a name. I didn't know what to call it. And so uh, my, um, my username w- I, on a DIY forum was Indie Guitarist. And so I thought, well, I'll just uh, I'll see if that site's taken. <laughs> and it wasn't. Uh-huh. So that, that's literally what I called it. There really was no rhyme or reason behind it other than I needed a name, a short name. Um, you know, rather than Brian does DIY mods and stuff like that. dot com. That's way way too long. Sure. <laughs> so so I yeah I started out doing that and just you know the evolution of business. People were asking me to build them more pedals. Um, I had retailers asking me if they could buy pedals off me. Mm-hmm. So I started saying, okay, my business model is changing. I either got to stick with DIY stuff or I got to morph over and do pedals because I can't do both. I just don't have enough time. Uh, you know, at this point, I was barely sleeping anyways, a couple hours a night at most. Okay, wow. And, um, yeah, I was really busy. And so I, I ended up just doing the pedal line, and I thought, you know, it, it's actually kind of a nod to Robert Keaton. Like, he, I like how he branded everything as his name because, not, that, not from an egotistical perspective, but just as a uh, branding thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you see Robert, you know who he is. Yeah. Um, he's, you can identify with him. I'm like, that's, I need to do that rather than like indie guitarist. So I just started changing the names on the pedals to Wampler pedals rather than, uh, indie guitarist. So, and, and still like sometimes on eBay, I'll see like an old pedal that says indie guitarist or something. Okay. And, cool. uh, you know, it's, and it's fun to, fun to see those things. And I, I usually try to buy them when I can. <laughs> I, Put them in the I museum. I didn't, well, I, I didn't keep anything of my own, okay. you know, that, and that's kind of, it really kind of sucks because there's a lot of times where I'm like, I rem- I recall building a particular pedal or, or a couple of them, but I have no reference or no idea of what it sounded like now, you know, okay. 15 years later. Yeah, sure. And so I'm like, it's kind of nostalgic to me where I, I just, I want to, I, I want to get that pedal back and see what it sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I Nothing like it. having gas for your own pedals. That's kind of weird. <laughs> Yeah, so in all your uh, all your search engines, you've got these indie guitarist searches going on. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Are there any crazy prices? Are they, have these become sort of cold classic pedals? Uh, you know, so I don't I don't really follow fo- follow pricing that much. I mean, every now and then I'll see someone trying to sell one for some stupid crazy price, and uh-huh. I generally just shake my head. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pay five hundred dollars for 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 one of my old pedals. I wouldn't expect anyone else to either. Sure. Um, you know, but I mean, I can understand. Like, if you're a guy that just collects pedals and you think it's an investment of some sort, okay. But um, yeah, I, I mean, if I see one for a good price, I'll snag it. But if not, then I'll just wait till the market changes and I'll buy it down the road. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. So I, I imagine it was a big jump to go from. Um, from indie guitars to Wampler pedals, though, in terms of setting up shop and marketing yourself as a, as your own company, um, was that a big a, big learning a curve? Bit. I mean, yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, my methods of marketing at that time were 
you know, basically I had, had an email newsletter list. Yeah. And, of course, I had the website, and I was on a lot of forums. So I was still on those same forums. Um, and, you know, a lot of people knew who I was. Well, at least in the, the forums, they knew who I was. Okay, yeah. And, um, you know, my email list knew that it was me emailing them. Yeah. So the re- it really wasn't that big of a deal other okay. than, like, paperwork, you know. So we I got incorporated as Wampler Pedals. Yeah. And, um, you know, other than that, there, there was a little bit of market confusion, but not as much as, as you might think. But we were still pretty small back then. I mean, you know, I might be at that time, I don't even remember numbers, but it wasn't much. I mean, it was under 50 pedals a month. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too, too awful uh, crazy in the marketplace. And it was, it was a different market back then, a completely different market, where now, I mean, there's, I don't even know how many pedal companies are are here oh, that's uh, crazy, you know yeah. you know trying to trying to you know exist or trying to get started i mean sure. shoot d- this morning i had two or three people email me asking questions because they wanted to start a pedal business okay and that, you know and that's a common thing like every day I, I i get emails from someone asking me you know where should i buy this from or how should i do this uh, or you know how do i get people to notice my pedals so i mean so yeah there's all the time more and more people jumping into it and and the market's shrinking so it's um, so I would say this: if if you have any of your audience is interested in getting pedals, it's a great hobby. It's yeah. really hard to make a living at at this point in time, for sure. Sure, it seems like your timing um, was perfect in terms of uh, you know the rise of the quote unquote boutique pedal market. Um, yeah, right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah, and the internet forums and all those kind of places where people were getting into this. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, it seems. There's a bit of luck to it for sure, but the other side of it that uh, you know a lot of people didn't see was that I was spending tremendous amounts of hours on all these forums and, and all these places talking to people in order for them to basically like me and believe in me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's uh, you know, as far as marketing goes, it's kind of like Facebook marketing now, where you're talking to people and you're creating content in order for people to notice you. I was just doing the same thing. It was just pre, it was before YouTube, you know, and before, yeah. uh, you know, is the MySpace era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. So, so it was before anyone was even using Facebook. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, the audience was, um, it was just starting to grow. Uh-huh. So the, it wasn't gigantic like it is now. I mean, in terms of, I mean, like on Facebook, I don't even know how many gear groups there are. Oh, uh, at the time, crazy. there was just a handful of popular forums, though. Mm-hmm. So, and that's kind of where everybody kind of stuck together. So it wasn't nearly as hard as it would be uh, today to, to rebrand sure, or start. So mm-hmm. so this is, a, I should say, this is around 2006 when, when you started Wampla as, a, as an entity. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit fuzzy that, at that point. I mean, it's a, it was five, six, somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, there, there was a point in time um, when I had indie guitarist and Wampler, Yep. And the same thing on both pages. <laughs> okay. Just because I because some people were going to any guitarists and some people were going to Wampler pedals, and I didn't want to miss any of that traffic, so I kind of had both sites, but the email would both funnel to me. So whichever one you you know emailed me from, I would still get the email. But uh, it was it was kind of awkward and probably not the best method of, of doing it. But uh, you know we're we're through that phase now, so all's well. Okay. I've heard you say that you are more engineer than builder. Can you talk about that a little? Well, I mean, 
I started out building all my own stuff. And, um, you know, as you, as you get older, you kind of figure out your strengths. So yeah, at the time when I was starting all this stuff in 2000, 2001 or whatever it was, I, I never really put a whole lot of thought into, you know, whether I was even able to build a thousand pedals a month or let alone 5,000 pedals a month or whatever. Um, you know, I just knew I was building one here and one there and doing this modification for this person and, uh, you know, putting out a lot of content in all these places. So as things were getting bigger and orders, more and more orders were coming in, I started realizing that building 20 of the same pedal sucks, uh, uh-huh. at least for my personality. Like it's, it's, it ended up being a lot like factory work. Okay, sure. And um, I was a terrible factory worker. I, I, my personality is, is I obviously can hear me talk, so I'm scattered anyways. But as far as like work habits, I'm scattered there too. Like I can't, it's very hard for me to just do one thing all day long. It's incredibly boring to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, I started out, I hired some people to build for me and that worked out better. And then, um, I don't even know the years, maybe 2009 or 10 or so, uh, hired an outside manufacturer in Kentucky Mm-hmm. to um, to build everything for me. Okay. So And that allowed me to really focus on what I was good at, which was designing stuff and talking to people. You know, I mean, that's, that's my two favorite things to do is talk to our actual customers who are using the product and design new, new fun things, new toys to play with. You're known for taking extended amounts of time to really dig into a design, which I, which I assume takes up a lot of your time as well. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and um, you know, there's, there's a bit of a perfectionist uh, part in there that I struggle with where, I mean, you, you've, I mean I'm sure being a musician, you know, you, you write a song and you're recording it and you're like, it's almost there, but it's just not perfect. And you fiddle and fiddle and fiddle and fiddle. And three weeks later, you're like, it's even worse than it was. <laughs> so, I mean, I think over the years I've gotten better at saying, okay, it's 99.999% perfect. It's good enough. Okay. <laughs> There's got to be a point where it's good enough because at least with my personality, it, you know, there is no such thing as perfection, even though I strive for it. Okay. Well, what's an example of a pedal um, in your range that took you a long time to nail down the way you wanted? You know, the biggest one is the, it started out being called the Ace 30 and then ended up being called the 30 something. Okay. Uh, due, to, due to some legal problems with Vox. Uh, yeah. So, um, but that one, I hadn't built, man, a bu- like f- maybe at least five or six prototypes, different types of circuits where I was trying to achieve that sound. Uh, but, here, but here's the weird thing like, any anytime you're working with a breadboard and to kind of, Back up here. A breadboard is something that you build circuits on very quickly without soldering, just by kind of poking wires in places and connecting them without soldering. So you can, like, try designs real quickly. But um, anytime you're going from a breadboard to, like, a finished product with a circuit board and, you know, it's, it's all in one place and the layout's done, things change. Sounds change. So sometimes what sounded great on a breadboard sounds... Uh, well, it can go either way. Sometimes it sounds better once it's in a pedal. Sometimes it sounds worse or just completely different. Why would that be? Why, why is that? Yeah, there's a, a lot of things that, that play into it. With a breadboard, you know, I'm looking at mine right now. So there's, 
you know, there's 50 different wires that are a foot long just going every which direction. Okay. So sure. what, what you have is a bunch of little antennas there. Uh-huh. And also, and in, in how they're arranged, it kind of, kind of creates capacitance and it, it changes, let me think of a good way to put this. It changes the sound overall based on how a circuit is laid out. Okay. So with a breadboard, with all these wires running everywhere, it really changes the sound. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean, and not we're not talking like, you know, you think you're going to have a tube screamer and it ends up being a fuzz. It's nothing like that. <laughs> it just it's maybe, um, you know, like with with this with these um, Vox type uh, pedals I was I was trying to come up with. Yeah, it just wasn't it wasn't nailing it. Like okay. it, it was close. It was eighty or ninety percent there, but it just wasn't. It wasn't close enough for me to say, let's ship it, you know? Um, and, and so I just, I, just to strive for perfection, I just, you know, kept trying and trying and trying and trying. And I think uh, what, you know, what I really wanted to achieve, I think we did it. And that's, um, I, I really wanted a pedal that would give me like that chimey, clean tone, no matter what amp I was playing on. So whether if I'm playing like a classic 50, you know, PV classic 50 or something like that, I can kick this pedal on, and it gets really bell-like, chimey tones. Uh-huh. And um, and so, you know, that's that was the main thing I was I was going for with that. And that's uh, it. Just took took a lot of trial and error. <laughs> that must be good to know. You know that all that work has has paid off, and must be a product you're very proud of. It is. It is. But I mean, you know, another weird thing about me is, especially after I spend so much time doing something like that, I get burned out on it. <laughs> sure. So, so, you know, it's um, because there's a lot that goes into like the prototyping, like you're playing in all these different situations and you're you're trying to break it. You're trying to make it sound bad with an, one of many different amps, you know. So, mm-hmm. at, you know, at the time I was taking it to a bunch of different music stores to try to find all different types of amps to play it on or, or you know, pedals at that time before I had 40 amps. And um, so... <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's it's just, uh, it, it's hard to um, to make things sound right, you know. It with, I don't know. I'm I'm probably not explaining it well. <laughs> oh, I think I get the idea though. Yeah, you. I mean, you've got something in your head, and you're just trying to translate that via the circuit and and reach yeah, that I mean, space. Yeah, and just if if it's not. If it's not ninety nine point nine percent close, I just uh, I'm not interested in putting it out. You sure. know, I'm I, I'm not a fan of just putting out something because you need something. Yeah. You know, like it just uh, it's too much. It's too much like an art. I think it, I look at it a lot like an art form. Uh-huh. You know, even though it is something that's based completely on like math and physics and stuff, I don't look at it that way. I look at it much more like painting a picture. And um, if the picture doesn't look right, then I, I don't want others to see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool, man. I mean, I, I think it's no surprise then that, that you've done so well and that Wampler pedals are such a, a staple in, in so many pedal boards. At, oh, um, at Summer Nam this, this year, you released the Doctor Delay, which looks great. It looks really cool. Well, thank you. Could, could we take that as an example of a product that has just come out? And could you, could you explain the process um, for that release backwards, perhaps. So we see it at Summer Nam. I see it on my Instagram, mm-hmm. and I think it looks mm-hmm. fantastic. A lo-fi delay with with some really cool features. Yeah, I mean, it's that that one. That one actually is quite a bit uh, quite a bit different story than like the ethereal. 
mm-hmm. where like the ethereal is kind of more what you're talking about where it took a long period of time and there's a lot of audio steps to get there. Uh-huh. Um, the doctor actually started out being called the wheelhouse, which was made for Brad Paisley for his album called the wheelhouse. We okay. only built like four. Uh, how many we build? We built under 10. I think each guy in the band had like one or two each that they would, that they would, you know, would take out on tour. And it was just to, uh, to ch- achieve a delay sound he wanted on that album. But it's, uh, it was such a fun delay. I'm like, I really hate for this thing to just sit on a shelf. I, uh-huh. I think we should at least release it in some sort of capacity. And if people dig it, we'll keep making it. And if they don't, then, you know, we'll discontinue it. But it was a finished design. Uh, it's fun to play. And it's just, um, you know, it, that, that was a really weird situation that doesn't happen very often. Okay. You know, the, you know, there's not a lot of pedals where I make for an artist for an album. Right. You know, but it was just because I was a, you know, like I said, I was a gigantic Brad Paisley geek. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm like, yes, Mr. Paisley, I'd be glad to do that. <laughs> <laughs> win, win. It's worked out well. You got a new pedal on the line. Hey, yeah, um, yeah. you've got a great story about how you met Brad Paisley. Can you tell us that? Yes. Yeah, so... I'm going to say this is around 2001 or two, uh, somewhere in that area. Uh, he was a smaller, smaller artist. He was still popular here in America, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, he wasn't selling out 40,000 seat arenas at that time. Yeah. So it, he was in a smaller place here in Indiana. It's about three, two or 3,000 seating, or it was, it burnt down, but it, um, it was about two or 3,000 seats. And during the middle of the show, he would allow people to like walk up to the stage and take a picture of him. So there was like this whole line of people waiting to take a picture, right? And so I thought, I'm going to do something different. So I modified a Boss OD3 overdrive. And I thought, you know, I knew what Gary's using and stuff. So I thought, I did a modification I thought he might like. Okay. And walked up to this, like, just just got in line, walked up to the stage and tossed it on stage right in front of him. (laughs) So, and of course, that was weird to him. He looked down at it, looked at me and... Kind of like, why did this guy throw a pedal on stage? <laughs> uh, l- looked over at his tech and kind of nodded over him to come and get it out of the way. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, and I was just, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, when I was growing up, people, there was a lot of talk about people who were trying to get their music to an artist or to a producer or something yeah, to get okay. that elusive record deal. Yes, yeah. And they would sneak, see, you know, sneak a tape in their car and stuff like that. Um, you know, and it, it was, I guess it was kind of a play on that where... You know, I th- thought it might be kind of funny, but it might get his attention. And, you know, maybe I might be able to work with him one day. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> that is the best. That is so... I wonder if that happens at all these gigs now, if you've got these up-and-coming pedal builders <laughs> that are dumping stuff on the stage. I'll know if he, uh, if he, next time I see him, if he's like, dude, you got to quit talking about that story. People keep hitting me with pedals. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's like the Tom Jones underpants. It's that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> Bit more oh, toneful. So good. Um, anyone who's a pedal guy, anyone who plays pedals, um, myself included, the amp is incredibly important. And you know, we talk about pedal platform amps, or you know, I talk about. Uh, an amp that likes pedals, and for me, I'm just thinking it's got a lot of clean headroom, so it's not the amp's not going to color the tone. But obviously, whatever you do, the amp's going to have its own vibe. Um, yeah. So you've just well, you haven't not just, but you've you've released the Bravado amplifier. 
Um, yes. What, talk about your your um your mindset in in creating something with pedals in mind. Well, I mean, you know, being the type of guy that likes to just fiddle with stuff, I um, you know, for several years back in, into the DIY days, I was I was messing with amps and um, you know modifying them, and just for fun mainly. I mean, I did release a, a couple ebooks that you know would explain how to modify mm-hmm. some you know cheaper popular amps to make them sound different. But, um, you know, I, I never really thought about actually jumping into the amp game full throttle. And um, over the past couple of years, I mean, I've got a lot of amps, and I like the sound of all of them. Yeah. But it, seemed like, it seems like every amp has, like, it's certain types of pedals that it loves, you know? Oh, so, yeah, yeah. you know, like a Marshall will eat a fuzz face all day long. You know, yes. loves, loves the fuzz into a Marshall. Yeah. Um, but but you might put. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example with the with a Marshall. I don't know. I can't, off, the, off the top of my head, I can't think of a particular example. But you might put a certain type of overdrive or distortion. Maybe it's a, okay, like a Nobles ODR one. Maybe it's a little too bass heavy or something. Sure. And it's and it gets a little flubby and it's not as tight and it just doesn't sound right with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, or that like same a, that same fuzz into a, a Fender is is. Yeah, yeah. So that same fuzz into a fender, you're like, holy crap, that's really bright and really <laughs> bad sounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and the same thing with like Vox style amps. I yeah. love the sound of a Vox. Yeah. But some distortions sound great with it. Some mm-hmm. distortions sound just very nasally and shrilly, and sounds like you know nails down a a, a chalkboard. Because yeah, um, there's already that particular, know, very particular upper mid thing with the Vox, isn't there? That yeah, not every pedal's going to get along with. Right, and there's mm. this cer- certain high-frequency content that makes it sound really bell-like and really chimey yeah. that makes, uh, makes pedals, some pedals, sound shrill, just okay. sound like, like uh, the, the high end is kind of raspy. And so, so I, I, what I wanted was an amp that would, no matter what you put in front of it, like if you're using a metal zone or, or whatever, it's actually going to sound pretty decent, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, so I, I, want it to be, I want it to be fairly neutral, but not flat. So a yeah. lot of people don't understand what I mean. It still has its own flavor. Okay. So it, you know, it's not like completely flat, transparent, like plugging into a console. It's not like that at all. Um, but it, it's it's very even in the mids where, like for like you talked about the Vox, the high end spike. Uh, we talked you know, the Blackface has kind of a a, 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 a scoop in the mids, yeah, yeah. very bass heavy, mm-hmm. and a, and a very bright top end. So I wanted to kind of even all that out. Yeah. But I still wanted a person to be able to get that stuff. So okay. like so, you know, for example, um, you can you can turn the mids all the way down and it's a bit more like a fender when you have the bright setting on uh, maybe three or four. Um, now, bring the mids back up and then you can turn the bright setting to about four or five, uh, maybe hit the fat switch on. And now you're kind of doing a little bit closer to what a Vox does, but it's not quite so spiky. Okay. If that makes sense. So, yeah, cool. so you can kind of get flavors of different amps, yeah. but that, um, especially that that bright switch, what it's doing in the circuit, really allows it to work with a lot of pedals. Um, and and that's that's controlling a certain part of the circuit that on all these different amps, it, it's um, it's not completely responsible for what creates the interaction problems, but it does play a huge role in that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, we just kind of corrected all that stuff to make it work great with pedals, um, and not you know it like you can crank it up and get a pretty good dirt tone too. I probably should do a video of that, but okay. it is um, it's it's fairly high headroom, so it's it's forty watts technically two six L sixes, 
Yeah, that doesn't mean though that it's incredibly loud. A lot of people associate like wattage with loudness, and and, yeah. and it's actually a function of a bunch of different things, like how okay. much signal is coming through, what kind of speaker you're using, like all this stuff. Um, so it's not like a super super loud. You know, it's not going to sound like a twin. You know, where you can't be in the next you know, next room with it. Yes. Um, yeah. But it's uh, you know a lot of high headroom. We're in the stages of an amp that it would normally clip a lot, like around the phase inverter stage. Um, there's, uh, I've, I've killed some signal in there, so it's, so it's not going to distort as much. You can, mm -hmm. you can give it quite a bit of volume and get that nice compression without a ton of overdrive. Okay, cool. Sounds good. I, I really like the, the switchable, um, bright switch. A, a lot of amps will have a bright switch at a fixed. Yeah. And it's like, I always wanted something in the middle, you know? You know, like, you know, I was just talking about a twin, like a twin, you have off, which is dull and then yes. on, which is like super bright. <laughs> and, and the, the EQs, some people don't understand this, the EQs on the amp, that treble control, you're not controlling those same frequencies. It's totally different. It's a different, and you're yeah. Yeah. And you're controlling a bunch of other stuff with it, like mid range and everything else. Mm -hmm. So like that five position bright switch j just changes, uh, specific frequencies and how that amp is going to react to those frequencies, if that makes sense, in, in a way that's completely different than a treble control. Yeah, cool. Hard to explain over a microphone, much easier to play one. Yeah, <laughs> oh, like, absolutely. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> I, think, I think you nail it with the Fender analogy, though. On any amp, you know, the bright switch, it's either going to work for you or it's not. But with yours, at least you've got some, some real room, depending on um, right. Yeah, how it's working out. That's cool. Nice. So, Brian, what's happening for the second half of um, 2017? Well, there's a bunch of things. I've got... I, I know I at least got three or four more pedals that are ready to come out. Uh, or oh, wow. dangerously close to being ready to come out. Fantastic. Um, I don't want to release everything at the same time. I, I mm -hmm. like kind of spreading them out a little bit. Um, I also have another amp that will be coming out. Um, I don't know if that will be Q4. It might be Q1 next year. Okay, uh, but uh, yeah, there's 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 several different things that are, will be rolling out every uh, every month and a half to two months, maybe three months. Yeah, probably two months or so. Okay, cool. So yeah, I can't, I can't be specific yet. I like to I like to kind of keep that stuff in the bag until we get okay. a little closer to time. But yeah, there's some there's some really fun and cool things coming up. Great. Yeah, I like it how you called the doctor the mystery pedal leading up to Summer Nam, and we just had to keep <laughs> checking in at, until it was released. <laughs> it just makes things funner, you know, yeah. rather than saying, uh, yeah. you know, well, like we did with the ethereal where I released it. Well, I announced it way too early and it wasn't uh -huh. ready for like six a year later. Okay. Um, and so that, you know, it kind of deflates, it kind of deflates the excitement out of it yeah, sometimes, yeah. you know. And does uh, everyone and bug all... you? When, when's this oh, reverb yes. delay coming out? Oh my gosh. Yeah. But it, <laughs> it, it, again, it was another one of those perfectionist things where there yeah. was some noise in the circuit. I just, it wasn't incredible. It wasn't like a huge amount of noise. It was just enough where I'm like, I can, I can make this better. Like there's a way to fix this noise. Um, and so it, it, we basically broke apart the entire circuit bit by bit to figure out where the noise was actually coming from, laid the whole thing out again, fixed all the noise and, and now we're good. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time today. It's been so exciting to, to oh, hear more pleasure. of your story. Really my pleasure. great. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. 
All right, I had a lot of fun too. That was great meeting Brian Wampler and finding out more about his story. Hey, if you're enjoying these podcasts, why not share them on your social media? It really helps us get the word out and is greatly appreciated. Also, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or iHeartRadio or pretty much most podcatching apps or, or whatever, and you just get our um, episodes sent to you every single week, which is a cool way to keep up to date. Because you know what, this Thursday, I can't tell you who I'm interviewing, but please ask me after Thursday, because it's just blowing my mind right now. So if you subscribe, you'll keep up to date with all that. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. My name's Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. I'll see you next time. Bye now.